Amen. All right. So as you know, our normal modus operandi of doing things is uh, we teach through the Bible, and um, we just go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We will change it up a little bit as far as the order of books we are, we are studying. We had spent a year in first and second Corinthians, and where we will be going next is first and second Thessalonians. But in between, we are doing a couple of, of topical messages, you could say. Uh, last week, we, we talked about the persecuted church. And if you weren't here, uh, you can watch it online. It's been recorded, and I, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, it, it just provides some real information on the persecuted church and what they go through and our brothers and sisters, and the importance that we pray for them. And we really are wanting to dedicate this year to, to be praying for the persecuted church. Um, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And uh, just for those of you who keep asking, okay, that is when I'm going to do uh, a prophecy update, right? Be and the reason why Palm Sunday works so well for a prophecy update is the idea that Palm Sunday was all about the celebration of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and the people were celebrating and welcoming their Messiah. The only thing is he is their Messiah, but he, he wasn't exactly who they thought he would be. But thankfully he went to the cross died there, was buried, rose from the dead to pay the debt of our sin, is ascended to heaven, but he is coming back again. He is coming back again. And uh, if you look at things of the world, it would seem like things are lining up for the return of the Lord, and I'll be talking about that next week. Just watch. There's going to be a whole ton of people next week. Um, anyways... And then after that is Easter Sunday. But today, uh, what I want to talk about today, what are we doing today? Well, let's pray first, and then we'll get into our, our topic. Lord, um, I just pray for your blessing upon our time. And, and especially doing a topical message, Lord, it's, it's not my normal way of doing things, and so I certainly need your help I know that it, I can get in the way because I pick and choose what passages, Lord, we go through. And, and if you're not guiding me and leading me, then, Lord, we're, we're, I'll lead everybody astray, and I don't want that. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would anoint me and lead me and protect me in teaching your word, and that you would work in all of us, Lord, to, to, to understand just what's important to you and where we go as a church. And I just pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know that last Sunday was the anniversary of when City Calvary Chapel had to close its doors on Sunday mornings? And we were, like pretty much all the other churches, because it was mandated by our governor, 
uh, that, that all gatherings of, of, I can't remember the exact number, um, were not allowed, but they did allow people to come to church in order to put on some sort of video presentation. And so we had a group of people here, and we did our very first um, uh, online church service. And it was great. Certainly we had our fair share of glitches, like you know, not having the phone in the right direction. It, it, actually, I think in the early days, uh, the, the, the whole thing was sideways, right? Um, anyways, we, we fixed it thanks to people texting us frantically saying church is sideways. And, and, um, and we were here meeting. And then after that, it became pretty evident that we had to no longer meet in, in any size groups. And so we had to actually take it into our home. We, it was so weird for us lots to be conducting church from our living room. And it was great. Melissa was in charge of the video presentation, which basically was setting up the phone uh, to record. And... Um, Caroline was on the ukulele, and Elise was singing, and, and then I preached a message from my living room. Uh, it, it was an interesting time. And then we were obviously allowed to come back together, but it had to be outside, so we met out in the courtyard in the summertime, which was neat, and we had plenty of people out there. It was, it was really encouraging. It did get a little hot on a few occasions, and we did actually overheat some phones, uh, so it, church shut off, and then we had to find a new phone that wasn't overheated and start up again. And Anyways, all these, all these technical issues... And then we were allowed to come back, right, and supposedly were allowed to be in the building at 25% occupancy, at least, at least the room and then the whole of the building. We can have other people, but that's what's been ordered by our governor. However, one thing that is different is we have upped our game in regards to the video experience. We, we have uh, uh, made a major investment in a camera, and it's actually the kind of camera that they will use to, to shoot feature movies. Um, and thanks to Kevin O'Bai, our, our friendly guy back there, our expert in all things video, and then the other team that was all uh, put together to put together our new video service, and when we do the overheads, right, they're actually, the, the, the slide is shown on the video. I mean, it's great, it's, it's great. Anyways, uh, but it has been an interesting year. It has been a very interesting year, and many things have changed. And so then the question really is, okay, so where do we go from here? After a year like this, where do we go from here? And I'm not just asking about City Calvary Chapel, though we do need to ask that question, but I'm asking about the whole of the church, especially the church here in the United States of America. Where do we go from here? There is no doubt that this year has been tough on churches, right? We've seen a number of restaurants close, unfortunately, but there have been uh, churches that have closed as well. Um, David Kinneman, who is the president of Barna Research Group, it's the biggest of all the Christian research groups, and he's, he believes that one in five churches will close because of this pandemic. Uh, another thing that I found interesting is that they did a, a little bit of a research on pastors and their views on the future of things, and I found this to be a little bit discouraging in the sense that only 58% of the pastors were confident that their church would continue on after this whole COVID thing comes to an end, right? That's, that's just over half the guys are confident that things will continue on. And I, let me say this. I am confident that we will continue, Lord willing, right? 
My confidence is 100%. We will continue to operate as a church. This is not going to be the end of City Calvary Chapel. And I praise the Lord for you guys and last year. And I mean, really, really encouraging. And another thing, I have a promise that I want to make to you personally. We will never close our doors again. We'll never close our doors again to a service. We, we, we want people to be, to be able to come and worship the Lord. And it may be that, that um, things change a little bit in that way, but even if the church goes to my house, our doors will, will never be closed to gathering as the body of Christ. Um, anyways, so where does the church go from here across America, and where do we go? Does it go more online, more video? Is that where it's going? You know, like I said, we have our new video system. It's interesting that churches have had to adapt because, it, it, you know, in the past, it's all been about gathering together. And so churches put together all kinds of things that will gather people together. And there's a lot of reliance on, or reliance on programs, on different ministries, you know. And, and, and now, all of a sudden, you know, churches can't really rely on programs as much anymore. I mean, even youth ministries have been largely shut down. Marriage ministries, everything's gone online. The church growth plans. I get all of these emails about how to grow your church. And I think a lot of that is, is, well, I'm not very interested in it. Because it says in the Bible, the Lord added to their numbers daily such as would be saved. So I trust the Lord for our our growth or or shrinking, whatever God would have. But but here's a here's a, a really uh, I think a question that we need to ask, and that is, what's important to you as far as a church? Or think of think of if you were to go and visit a church, what would be important to you in looking for a church? Or imagine we have visitors coming here to City Calvary Chapel. What would be important to them in what they would want to see in a church? And my answer to that is, it doesn't matter. That is the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, what does the Lord want? What does he want for his church? What is God's plan? What is his will? What does he want the church to look like? And and we can go back to the prototype, the very first church, right? After um, Pentecost and the church was born, 3,000 people added to their numbers uh, that day at Pentecost, the church was born. And so what did the church do then? Well, it was pretty simple. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42... We have that verse 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Really, it was those four things. That's what the church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, teaching. Right, and uh, you and I, for 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 us, and I would hope any church. But the most important thing that we could do, first and foremost, is to teach God's word because that's where we get to know Him. He reveals Himself and His will, what He wants in His word, and so that would be a major focus. And then, and and to fellowship, uh, another word for fellowship there would be communion. And so they dedicated themselves to communion on a regular basis. But another way of saying that is every time they would take communion, it was a reminder of the gospel. 
right? Because the communion is all about remembering the gospel. So they were a very gospel-centered church, and they would do communion uh, to the breaking of bread. In other words, they enjoyed each other's company. They would have each other over for dinner. They fellowshiped. They were a part of each other's lives, which I think is so great, especially when you look at the size of the church. But another thing that they did is they dedicated themselves to prayer. Really, those four things is pretty simple. And I taught this when it was going, when we were going through the book of Acts. But you know, when it comes to prototypes, right? It's, the idea of prototypes in our world is you get the prototype and then the goal is to work and make it better and better and better, right? The very first um, car was invented by Carl Benz, right, of Mercedes-Benz, right? It was, it was a very rudimentary car, and now you were to look at over the different time, it's a lot different than the prototype. Um, the Wright brothers did the prototype of the airplane, right? They, they, they built that airplane that flew very briefly. Well, compare that to what we have today. It's been perfected and perfected and perfected. But there is a prototype that can never be perfected because it was already perfect, and that is the church. Because this is what the church should be about. And it goes on and it says, everyone was filled with awe. Man, they were in awe of the Lord. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling the possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all, their, of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How, how thrilling that that would have been uh, to be a part of that church. And I believe that this should be the way the church is today. We, we, we love the Lord. We study his word. We, we remember the gospel. We have communion. We have fellowship. We pray together. We help each other as people have need. And, um, and, and then as the Lord would lead us, we're absolutely involved in outreach, but it's the Lord who brings the, the people to the um, saving faith to himself. And, and that's, the, that's the church. So today, though, I want to take it to a deeper level than this. And what do I mean by that? Well, this is, in a sense, the original prototype, the designs of what the church did. But I would like to take it to more of an internal thing. God working on the inside. What was happening on the inside of the people? Because without this happening, it doesn't matter what we do. Right? It's, it's, you know, you'll see what I mean. And what I want to do is to take a look at some lettuce verses. I'm not talking about the vegetable lettuce. I'm talking about some verses that say, let us. Okay? And, and there are many let us verses throughout the Bible, but we will be looking particularly at a, a few of Paul's let us passages. We will be also looking at John's let us passage. And then whoever wrote Hebrews, we will be looking at, at that person's let us passages. Because let us, let us, this is the way we are to be. Let us be this way. Okay? 
uh, and certainly this list is not exhaustive, and I would encourage you to, to go online and, and, and look at all the other places where there are let us verses, and as the Lord would speak to you, please share it with me. You can email me, call me, whatever. I, I would love to talk about it and hear about the things that the Lord shows to you. So the let us passages, the very first let us passage, if you would like, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and this, this is a great passage for the let us words. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So here we see these, these let us Words. The first is, let us draw near to God. Right? Let us draw near to Him. First and foremost. This should be about what we are as a church. That the, that, that the desire that we have is that we would draw near to the Lord. But I love the focus of this because you could see where the gospel is clearly stated on why anyone is able to draw near to the Lord in the first place. Because of Jesus, because of the curtain that was opened up by his body, and we have a great high priest, the Lord Jesus, who was the sacrifice for our sins, that we are to draw near, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, right? That we would draw near with a full assurance of faith. That that would be first and foremost. That the church is not a community club. The church, the church is first and foremost a place where people gather to draw near to the Lord. And I would hope that that would be what we are about first and foremost. That we come together as born-again brothers and sisters. And for anyone who's not born again, they are welcome and wanted. And we want them to hear the gospel and become born again so that they can draw near with a sincere heart, being washed white and clean because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross where he paid the justice due for every sin. But let us draw near and to be people who love the Lord, who really, truly love the Lord. Now, one thing is for certain. If you're looking at church to be your motivator 
to help you love the Lord, to be first and foremost, to, to help you love the Lord, you are sorely mistaken. The church is an important part, but it has to come from your own relationship with him. Your own walk, your own time spent with the Lord. And, and um, so this is the first. Let us draw near to God. And then let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. That God who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. You know what is interesting it is, it is I, I find this to be amazing to me, actually, but the number of people that are leaving the Christian church, and not just leaving the church, but are leaving the faith. I uh, quite frankly think that it was people who had never really truly been born again because they'd never truly repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus and, 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 and been born again. I think this is a lot of people who were experienced to Christianity. I think, you know, one, this is one of the things that can happen even in youth groups that you can actually inoculate the kids against. You give them enough that, that they know the story, but then they figure later on in life they don't, they don't want it. You know, the millennials are walking away in mass numbers, but it's not just the millennials, it's all generations. And yet, let us, this should be absolutely what happens, at least here at City Calvary. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. That nothing is going to shake us from our faith in the Lord and the hope that we talk about in Jesus. Now, I believe that the most important thing that we can do in order to have this happen is that we saturate ourselves with the word of God to really, truly be people of the word and to know what our hope is and to be firmly established on what that hope is. And then we experience the joy of actually having that hope, of having the hope of eternal life to the point where it was like, I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize that. Man, let us be those kind of people. Then the next one is, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know what's so interesting in the world today, especially in church in America, if the motivation is what do the people want, then we need to give them that. And it becomes all about programs. It becomes all about buildings. It, I mean, and it becomes this competitive thing and, and, and somewhat looking at, at believers, people as customers, Right? We need to grow our church. We need to get more customers. Well, I would hope, you know, people would feel free to come, but I don't want customers. If we, I, I'd love to see people become born again and join our fellowship, but it's, it's not about customers. And I, I'm amazed because, you know, you think of the consumer mentality that exists in the people of Christ today. And the church has bought into it, and it's all about providing the people with what they need. And you have people showing up to church with the, with the idea, well, how is that church going to meet my needs? What is it that they have that I want? Do they have a really good worship band where, man, I just feel it when I show up? Or, the, or a dynamic teacher? Or do they have all of these programs and all of these things? And if that is our motivation, and I'm sad to say that's probably the predominant uh, 
number of people that are believers in our world today, at least in America, you miss out. Because if this is what we are, let us consider how we may spur one another, one another on to love and good deeds. We got to show up with the idea that it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about the church meeting my needs. It's about me with coming with the notion that here are a group of brothers and sisters that I am going through life with and I want to spur them on to love and good deeds, to live out their lives for the glory of Jesus, right? I mean, that should be the heart by which we, we come to church with. The next one, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. A little bit of background with uh, what was going on in the church that this was written to. It's called Hebrews, but it was written to a particular church. And what was going on is that this church was made up of pro uh, uh, predominantly Jewish people. And they were under a great deal of persecution. And so this letter really talks about, uh, about the, the, the greater that we have in Jesus Christ and who he is. And, and there were people within this church that because of the, the, the influence of the Jewish community, wherever this church was, there were people who were leaving the church who weren't coming as much. And so the author is writing to say, look, don't give up the habit of meeting together, right? This, is, this should be a habit, a habit of meeting together. There are times where you can't go to church. I get that. But it should not be a habit. The body of Christ should be a regular part of our lives. Now, the question is, what happens when we get the all clear with COVID? Well, I would hope that the people who, who have gotten in the habit of just watching from home, because it's a whole lot easier than having to get up and drive to the church, I would hope that they would not stick with that habit, but that they would come back and to be a part of the body of Christ. When we are given the all clear, I get that there are people who are legitimately concerned about safety issues. And this, this is uh, you know, why we are putting our, our church services online, and we will continue to do so with the idea of trying to reach other people. Right? That's what we ultimately want to do. But, but church is not about watching something on a computer screen long term. Church is about gathering together. To come together as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. And then let us encourage one another. The church should be a place of encouragement. A place where we build each other up and not tear each other down. That we have that kind of a heart for people. That we show up and we, we leave our critical spirit at the door. And we come in with the desire to love each other. Not, not gossip about each other. Not tear each other down. But to build each other up. To encourage one another. So that's the, those are the lettuce verses in Hebrews. So then we get to another passage. And this is in Romans chapter 14. And I believe that this passage speaks some words for us today. It's verses uh, 13 through 19. Therefore, let us 
Stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And why do I think that this is so appropriate today? Well, this whole idea of passing judgment on one, and, uh, on one another. Well, first off, what, what, why was this an issue in the church in Rome? And I, just a quick history of the church in Rome. The church in Rome, when it first got its start, was, all, was pretty much all Jewish people, right? These, these Jewish believers had been in Jerusalem when Pentecost had happened. Jews would travel from all over um, to go and celebrate uh, uh, Passover, and then many would stay for Pentecost. And so there were these that were, were there, and, and this miraculous thing happens. They then go back to Rome, and they start the church, right? And it's in the early days, it's predominantly Jewish people. And then all of a sudden, the Gentiles start showing up, which is, man, how encouraging is that? But the problem then is once the Gentiles showed up, Emperor Claudius, who had a real thing against the Jews, expelled all of the Jews from Rome. And so now all of a sudden you had a church that was mainly Jewish. Now all of a sudden is Jewish and Gentile. Now all of a sudden is just Gentile, right? And then all of a sudden Emperor Claudius goes away and then comes Nero. And in the early days Nero was a decent man. And he allowed the Jews to come back. So then you have now this church that's, that's, that's Jewish and Gentile, right? And when you look at that history, you can understand that there maybe would have been a, a few things that would have pulled people different ways. Like, for instance, the Gentiles, who don't really know about the big difference about eating meat sacrificed to idols, they don't really care so much about that. Why? Well, because the best cuts of meat were the ones that were sacrificed to idols. And not only were the best cuts of meat sacrificed to idols, um, uh, uh, they were the best, but they were also the cheapest. You could go and you could get those at a much cheaper price than you could at the local butcher store. Right? And especially back in those days, things were a little bit complicated when it came to, to buying meat and that kind of thing. They, they didn't have Safeway and QFC and, and, and Costco and all of those things, right? And so the Gentiles would be thinking, yeah, what's the big deal? You know, I don't care. Those gods that these were sacrificed, they're all made up. This is good quality meat at a cheap price. But the Jews would be saying, yeah, but this, these are, this is blasphemy, that these animals were sacrificed to worship these false gods. And that is incredibly offensive to me. When you look at who we are as people and what we believe about God and the things that our, 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 our country, our, 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 our family, literally the Jews are one family, what they experience because their people sacrificed animals to false gods. And you could see why those people would be so against it. You, you could see both sides. 
And so here, Paul is saying, look, stop passing judgment on one another, but I believe he is specifically talking to the Gentiles here. Because what he is saying is, he is saying, if it is offensive to your brother for you to do that, then don't eat the meat sacrificed to idols around that person. If you have them over for dinner, don't serve that meat. Be sensitive. Why? Because it's the loving thing to do. Here we are in our world today, and there are some various divisions. One of them is in the area of masks, and I've talked about this on many occasions, but there are differing opinions about wearing masks. There are some who think it's a ridiculous thing. Masks do nothing. And so what's the point? It's just in a way of submitting to this over-oppressive government society. And why? And to come to church and have to wear a mask? That, that, how, how ridiculous is that? But there are people who are frightened about getting COVID. And maybe not, maybe frightened is, is an over, uh, uh, is a word that's stretching it too far, but they are concerned. And so because of that, they would like people to wear masks. And if that's the case, then what do we do as a church? Or what, I believe, what should any church do? Well, if everybody in the church wants to not wear masks, don't wear masks. If everybody in the church wants to wear masks, then wear, then wear masks. If half the people don't want to and half the people do want to, wear masks. Why? Because it's the loving thing to do. I get that it's a bit of a pain. I mean, nobody likes to breathe their own carbon dioxide, especially at church. But it's the loving thing to do. To show that kind of kindness to each other. And then he also said, and there's other areas, but I think this whole idea of masks or, or another one is the vaccine. Right? The vaccine. There are people who say, if you get this vaccine, I mean, there's all kinds of things. I'm going to fess up to something. I got the vaccine. I, I got the vaccine. And I will hear people talk about what's now going to happen to the people that are, get the vaccine. And it, it does nothing but discourage me. And we don't know what's going to happen, right? But it's like, what, what's the point? If people are truly interested for those who feel like they have some knowledge, you can go ahead and, and share that. But to not condemn people, right? To not condemn those who get the vaccine or those who don't get the vaccine. It can go the other way, too. To, to say, man, these people, how are we ever going to get herd immunity if we don't have all of us vaccinated? You can understand both sides of, of, of the argument, but the question is, is, is it going to be used as something to divide the church? And I would hope that we wouldn't let it happen because it is dividing the church. And, and to understand... It's not for us to sell our opinions to anyone on this, but this is people's own personal business to do as they feel is the right decision. And we'll see. If all my arms and legs fall off and I grow horns and all this kind of stuff, I'll say you guys were right. I've heard that I'm not going to live very long by some people. And, and fine with me because I'll be in heaven. I'll be waiting for you. But, but it, 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 do you understand what I'm saying? 
And, and for the people who would say, yeah, but, but I need to share this information, right? I need to warn people. Are you sure you need to? Do you know that what you know is in fact the truth? Or is it a report that you have heard from some website or for, from some other people? I just, it's, a, it's a thing to remind ourselves, right? And, and then here's this. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. You know, the church is divided, certainly. But where, where there is division, right? Let, us, let me read that again. Let us, let us. In the church across the world, in America, and right here in these walls, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. We, we, we live at church. Politics. Politics. We and I think you would agree with me. We live in the most divided time that I have ever seen in this country. There are people who would say, well, yeah, but what about the late 60s and early 70s when there were... Absolutely. I was a little kid at the time. But right now, for the, the, these are divided times. And people hold their political views closely. They, they, they can hold that closely. And this church is unique. The reason why I know that this church is unique is because of a conversation with Melissa uh, that she had with a very good friend of hers who lives down in Northern California in a very red location. And everybody that goes to their church, they're all staunch Republicans. They all thought Donald Trump is the greatest man, the greatest politician this country could have ever had. And everybody all agreed, right? Well, in this church, you guys, we're not a red church. We're not a blue church. There, 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 are, there are many in this room that, that, that really support Donald Trump and support the Republican Party and are outspoken. But there are also many people within this church who are more Democrat-leaning, who did not support Donald Trump, didn't like him, and didn't vote for him. And that is the way that it is. But you know what this person shared with Melissa? Because Melissa said our church is purple. You know, we've got, we've got both. We're purple. And, and this person said, do you realize how rare that is? That you have a purple church. Because the, the, that kind of stuff shouldn't last. Unless it's filled with people who live by this kind of let us. Right? That we look beyond who's in the White House. Granted, we can have our political views and be involved in that, but we don't judge each other based upon our political views. We look beyond who's in the White House. You know, I, I've been alive, I'll be 60 years old this year. Can you believe it? 60. And I, I've lived through a number of presidents, and, and granted, right, they're different, and some have been good, some maybe not so good. But at the end of the day, I, I still got to mow my lawn. I, I, I still got to get up and have my breakfast in the morning. I still, I still have to, you know, drive here to church and, and minister and all of these things. I got to pay my bills. All. And, and the point that I'm making is, does it really make that big of a difference? Does it make, it, it, in my experience, it hasn't made a huge difference 
And, and why is that? Well, I, I just trust the Lord, vote for who I feel should win, and then support wh whoever the president is, and, and uh, I want to lead a life of peace. And I know maybe I'm, I'm, I'm beating this drum too loudly, but this is an area where we come and we build each other up, and we don't judge one another and say, how could you be a Christian and vote for that man? How could you be a Christian and vote for that man? But you guys, we're a purple church, and I praise the Lord, because I look in this church, and I know you all who are staunch red. I know you. And there are people on the other side that are staunch blue, and I know you. And one thing's for sure, I love both of you. Man, I, uh, this church wouldn't be the same without you. Praise the Lord for that. Here's another one. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. The next batch of let us is, do not, uh, dear friends, let us love one another. It's the only let us in this one, but let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us first, first and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So, so um, oh, excuse me. Uh, wrong passage. Back up. We're going to do that one next. My apologies. First Thessalonians. Do we have that? First Thessalonians chapter 5. Did it not show up? Okay, all right, well, here it is, you guys. You, you guys, listen. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians next. I'll go into all the background. But, but, but this is very much about, the, he's writing about the rapture and, and, and the Lord's coming right and 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 this is what he is saying and paul evidently believed that the lord would come back very soon and he taught that to the church in thessalonica did the lord come back then no uh, though they thought he, he was absolutely going to and you could look 
over all of the years since then, and you think of church after church after church after church who has also thought the exact same thing and the Lord has not come back. And yet this letter to the Thessalonians has been canonized into scripture and should mean something to all of us. That we would, that we let us, let us not be like the world, but let us be like um, uh, those who live in the day, who are alert, who are self-controlled, right? Let us be that way, who are mindful of the fact that the Lord could come back today and that we live accordingly, and that we, we, we understand that God wants us to live in such a way that we live a self-controlled life. And that we take a look at what's going on and say, God, please forgive me. Hell, I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. And repent and to be dedicated to the Lord, to take our sinfulness seriously. Right? We're all sinners, but we, it, we, we can deal with this, the habitual sin that needs to be dealt with. And that we live in such a way that we are alert and ready for him to come back. And when he comes back, I would hope that we would meet him as the love of our lives rather than an acquaintance that we know we on and off, right? So, then the last one uh, is, is uh, the First John passage. And we read that. But the heart of it is, let us, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And this should be so true. Let us love one another. You know, you guys, we live in a world that seems to be coming meaner and more hateful by the year. Doesn't it? It's like, it's like man, oh man. Meaner, more hateful. And there is a coldness that I'm seeing. And perhaps maybe it's just living here in Seattle. They talk, they talk about the Seattle freeze. But there is a coldness. I love to walk my dog. I, I take my dog for walks every week. And it's just so amazing that people now are at the point that they, they literally will walk off the sidewalk and walk to the other side of the street to avoid having any contact. And you can feel it even in the stores. People are kind of looking at each other, sort of skeptically checking each other out. And I do believe that masks and that kind of thing, that this whole virus has added to that. But you look at this world that we are living in. You know what the biggest problem in the world today is? By far the biggest problem in the world today. And it's been this way since the 1990s and before. You know what it is? Loneliness. Loneliness, the biggest problem in the world. And we are called to not be like the world, but to love one another. And why and how? Well, this is the kind of love that goes way beyond being nice and being kind. But this is the kind of love that comes from a love that God puts in our heart when we become believers. And that we would love each other with that kind of love. The kind of love that is self-sacrificing love. To look at the body of Christ and think, you know, they're not a pain. It's a pleasure to serve them. You think of what the Lord did in serving us. That he came down as the atoning sacrifice. And it says, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. 
You know, I'd love to think that God lives here at this church and the evidence is that people would love each other and that it wouldn't just be in, in emotion and sentiment, but that it would be lived out in the way that we minister to each other and care about each other and stay in contact with each other and help each other and always wanting to, to bring in more people. I don't want to be a holy huddle. Uh, you know, this is something that we should be welcoming people in and inviting, but that it be a place where we truly love one another. And this is, this is the hallmark of a church, of a healthy church. Why? Because love is from God, and obviously if the people love each other, then God's love is happening there. You know, no matter what the, the conditions are like, what the future is, whether it's, you know, um, everybody is back to church or... or, or whether it's, it's, you know, watching online or, or whether a church has 10,000 people or 1,000 or 100 or 10 people, whether a church has big buildings or small buildings or meets in homes, whatever it is, there are things that should be evident in that church, don't you think? And that is, I, I, it's, it's these let us verses. Because you've you got to ask the question, what does God want? What is important to him? And so let me just go through these let us's, but I want you to change a word in, in our conclusion as we go through this. Because the us's are made of a bunch of me's, right? The we is made up of a bunch of I's, right? You guys with me on that? So, so as we read this, put, put your, your, either your name or, or me where it says, let us draw near to God. Well, that would be, let me draw near to God. Is that a desire of your heart, to draw near to the Lord? Man, the Lord, it's amazing to think here is the, the creator of the universe who spoke it into existence, who created beyond what is imaginable, and he wants us to draw near to him and has provided a way for it to happen. But let me, it's got to start with me. Let us, but let me. Let us hold unswervingly to the, the hope we uh, profess, right? Let me hold unswervingly that I know what I know following the Lord. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, right? Let me not give up meeting. That's a question that, Everybody has to ask themselves, you know, what's my, what's my attitude to church? And once we're given the all clear, I would hope all of us would say, well, the church is meeting again, but we're going to stay involved online and we're going to send in our tithe dollars. Well, that's, that's not really being a part of the church the way God wants. Let us, let me not give up meeting. Let me encourage one another, spur each other on to, to love and good deeds. Let me stop, stop uh, passing judgment. Let me make every effort to do what leads to peace, right? So oftentimes you look at everybody else and you think, okay, are they doing what needs to be done to be led to peace? Well, that doesn't work until every single person in themselves says, let me be that way. And, and remind us, you guys, we focus on the bigger picture. We can be a purple church because we could focus on the bigger picture, which is the gospel. Let us not be asleep, but, but alert, self-controlled. Let me 
be awake, alert, self-controlled, not living in the dark with a bunch of things that, that, that are unseen, but living in the light. And that, then lastly, let us love one another. Let me love one another. Amen? Father, thank you for just our time in the Word today. And I just, uh, I pray that, that all of these let us's would be true and real in, in us, Lord. And, and I pray that as we go back through this list, Lord, each one of us, that you would bring conviction and show us, help us to change. One thing's for sure, Lord, I, I violate so many of these. I know that I've certainly hurt people and discouraged people. I ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would change me to, to, to really, truly desire to have these let us, let me be real in my life. And I just pray for this, Lord. And especially when we think of the price that you paid, that we could be the body of Christ, that we could be the bride of Christ. And we, we thank you and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we will take communion together. And so as we're singing this next song, if you uh, don't